As Ross said to Rachel on Friends, I was on a break, but now I'm back and I got a guest. Welcome to the latest episode of Contrary Gardens. Hey, hey, Contrary Guardians. That's right. I'm going to start calling you Contrary Guardians because that's adorable. So we're going to do that. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everyone else, however you identify, I love you. I appreciate that you're listening. You're so awesome. Guess who's in my dining room? Guess. Let's see if she talks, if you can guess. Say something. Hello, everybody. That's fantastic. (laughs) Uh, how about let's talk about what your first name is. Uh, I believe it's an animal. Is that correct? It's a little bird. It's a, let's stop this ridiculous <laughs> game. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everybody else, here's Robin Savage. Yay! <laughs> I, I, you know, they want you to be on the show, but maybe they don't want me to be on the show. <laughs> no, of course they want you on the show. It's your show. You're a star, kid. I'm, I'm a star. I'm a star. I'm on top. Wait, what is it? I'm a star. I'm on top. Somebody bring, bring me some, some ham. 30 Rock. All hell, Tina Fey. All day. All, all day. day. All yeah. night. All hell, Tina Fey. Yeah. She's our own personal Jesus. She's a, she's a boo. She's fantastic. I think it would be kind of fun if you guys get a little backstory on this lady who's pretty funny. Uh, well, you know, you're a successful comedian. You're a writer, published writer, published author. All those words together. Those words. Stand up and be a lady. Mm-hmm. You're Available a- at a internet near you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You also are a speaker, and you are a paid speaker. Besides being a comedian, you've gone to libraries and taught people about stand-up comedy. That I have, yes. I, yeah. I have. I've done that. Don't make a face. <laughs> You do have a dream of being on a TED Talk or a TEDx Talk. I do, I do. I, but I feel like I have not learned any lessons in life, and that's um, kind of what you need to have for a TEDx oh, Talk. I, I have at least 10 topics I want to do on a TEDx Talk, but I've learned the lessons, but I continue to repeat the behavior. <laughs> I don't know if that's valid reason to do a TEDx Talk, but I could say the story so far. Listen, it's not about me, Robin. This podcast episode is about you. Oh, can I just make it one thing about you? I think you would be a very good TED Talker because I think you tend to look big picture and glean the life lessons, whether you think that you're living them out or not. That's on you. But I I feel like you're a little bit more philosophical and big picture than like I am. I'm just like, let's drink beer. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that in you. That is is high praise coming from you. Thank you very much. Some folks just think she's kind of nuts, <laughs> you know, but I appreciate that you made it sound like I'm trying. No. And, oh my goodness. You're, you're, yeah. yeah, you're very much trying. Thank you. I mean, yeah. I vacuum. I do what I can. <laughs> I shower. I get through the day. <laughs> I wear the deodorant. We don't need all the details, Mary. Okay. Back to the reason we're here today. Robin Savage, when you were a, a, a little bird growing up in the middle of the country, in, in, in your town, USA, did you ever dream that you would one day hold a microphone in a bar late at night and talk to strangers? Was that a dream? <laughs> you know, kids, your dream, follow your dreams. They can come true. No, I did. My earliest memory of like trying to make people laugh was um, 
probably second grade or first grade. People used to tell me I look like Robin Williams and I used to, I got the Mork um, suspenders. And um, I also had like an impression of Jimmy Carter that I did, which I don't know that it was an accurate impression, but that's kind of my earliest memories of Mork and Jimmy Carter. Is there any video evidence of this behavior? Oh, no. This oh. was like 1976. Right. I, I also had the suspenders. Oh, did you? Yeah, and I'd say, nanu, nanu. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was more, um, and this isn't about me, but I would do the Steve Martin stuff down the hallway at school. Okay. Arrow through the head, you know, things like that. Well, I think like well, there's a little bit of an age difference. So probably your Steve Martin was like my Robin Williams. But that makes sense. For no one who's seen me, I kind of have a prominent chin. Like, there's a little bit of, like, I kind of have a prominent chin, like Robert Williams, and there's a little bit of a similar similarity. smile. Yeah. I don't think I realized that before. Yeah. And then right. as Robin Williams got older, there was, he kind of looked like my dad, sort of. That's neat. Yeah. I didn't, that's kind of cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and, and, okay, so, so you were like seven or eight, and you're like, I think I can get this room to to laugh. Um, it was more like the the playground. I mean, it's okay. sort of it's sort of like cliche at this point. But a lot of times, people who drift into comedy drift, <laughs> yeah, drift. <laughs> like you're falling asleep on the highway and you're drifting into comedy. <laughs> My point is, a lot of people who drift into comedy or go into comedy or become funny people is because like. That is our currency. They have absolutely nothing else to back them up. Like nothing. And then you're like, I can't compete with any of this shit. So you become funny and then you get to hang out with the people who are good at sports or attractive or get good grades. Like you have something because you don't have the other things. And I think that's honestly pretty, pretty common with, with comedians. Like there aren't a whole lot of like Hot comedians. I mean, it's not non-existent, but it's rare. They, they could have gone a different way if they chose to. Yeah. But maybe there was other stuff that made them think they didn't have that as a valid, like you use the word currency. Uh-huh. Maybe they didn't think they could use that. Like maybe they weren't going to be a prostitute <laughs> <laughs> or a model. I, mean, I don't know why I went all the way over there. You can just be attractive and live your life. Or even, you not even attractive. Like, like anytime you see... Um, Oh, like sometimes SNL will have like the Derek Jeters or the Peyton Mannings. Oh, they're and not they're, funny. They're not funny. No. I mean, it's because they never had to be because they oh, were yeah. they were so good at, at sports and their currency was like, hey, I'm the superstar on, you know, whatever field. Yeah. So I don't necessarily have to learn to be charming. And this brings me to a bit of scripture, if you will, since Je- since Jesus is not our personal Jesus, but Tina Fey is our personal Jesus. There is an episode of 30 Rock where John Hamm is featured, and he's basically a beautiful, beautiful man, but he's an idiot. Yeah. Because he lived in a bubble. A pretty bubble. They, they would bring him Diet Raspberry Shasta at the diner when that wasn't even on the menu. Yeah. Um, and she's, she, uh, she showed him what life was like not being in the bubble. Yeah. Which to me, it's funny because I feel like Tina Fey would be in the same bubble, so I don't understand. Yeah. Because to me, she's gorgeous, so... I was going to say, my, my daughter also got into 30 Rock, and we've had many a uh, conversation. I go, I don't know why there's so many, like, ugly jokes when it comes to Tina Fey, because she is absolutely gorgeous. So. Drop-dead gorgeous. Drop-dead gorgeous. Love her. So. But we also see inside of her when we look at her, so, you know, yeah. that's part of it. Like, we, we know what's there. 
we know what's there um, as far as talent and strength and the things that she is able to say to people. Um, look, this isn't an episode about Tina Fey. Let's get back to We can you. make an episode about Tina well, Fey. Well, if you and I are talking about funny stuff, it's going to end up there. Yeah. <laughs> All roads lead to Tina Fey. Kind of. Mm-hmm. God, if she heard this, she'd be just running yeah. the other way and doing um, those, those um, what's it called? It's when you can't go near somebody because you're going to, you scare them. <laughs> I'll cut this out. What's it called when you are um, you have to stay 50 feet from somebody? Oh, restraining order. Yeah, she's going to do a restraining yeah. order against both of us, even though we're not even in the state she's no. in. Robin, when you hit high school and you realized you had the comedy thing, but you also had to start thinking about college, did writing or comedy play a part in your decision of what you were going to do as an adult when you were like in senior year of high school? Like, did you think... I'm going to go pursue this. Was no. that still there or was it just part of your personality? No, because I lived in such... I, I lived in a town of 4,000, so I didn't... It didn't even seem in the realm of possibility. Plus my handshake, and I was worried like people would be like, why is she so weird? It wasn't until I was in my 30s that I kind of got the gumption up to do it. But no, when I was... I, I was in a play when I was in my freshman year of high school, and I was so... Because, you know stage. I was so far away. They couldn't really see my handshake, but I like that. That was really fun. So you enjoyed performing at a young age. I did. I did. did. And I was in the forensics and debate club as well, too. Um, I didn't debate. I did forensics, which is like, I don't even think they call it forensics anymore, but it was like reading like doing monologues and like reading play. And I would never like you'd go to competition, but like I would just be like so shaky that I would always come in last. And so I was like, I, I don't think I don't think I can do this because my body just just goes to town when I'm, I'm nervous. But, you know, I got over it. And then a fun thing happened when you uh, had a sip of alcohol and you learned something. <laughs> you have a sip of alcohol and then it stops, which is it's so healthy to know that uh, the one thing that you think makes you different and weird, um, you can just just drink. And uh, this is a wonderful life lesson for the <laughs> listeners who think, gee, I have this thing that's keeping me from being social and following my dreams, but if I drink, it goes away. This is a disclaimer, everybody, to let you know that it's a temporary fix. It's not the answer, and while it is super fun, it doesn't always fix everything permanently because uh, I've known people who didn't shake, and then they drank, and then they became people who had a tremor. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, like... It's different. And then, the like, you... I shake worse like the next day, especially if I drank a lot. But whilst I'm in the uh, alcoholic, you know, running through my veins, it stops. But then the next day you're hungover and you're a little bit more shaky. And congratulations on not becoming an addict. That worked out. (laughs) (laughs) Yet. (laughs) Yet. No, I I don't drink a lot anymore. And I feel like it's mostly, if you're going to drink, I feel like it's beer. It's not hard alcohol. It is. And honestly, most of the time that I drink, it's like when I go to an open mic and I sort of feel obligated to buy something. But like yeah. if, if I go to a kava bar, I'll buy like just tea or boba or something. Well, whenever you and I would do a show together, we were so pedestrian, we just grab a Mick Ultra. Yeah. You know, if you get to the second one, it's like, whoa, whoa, who's driving? I'm like, it's Mick Ultra. It's water. It's not even... I could eat a lean cuisine, and, and it would be less calories to have two McUltras. They're 95 cal... I'm sorry, this isn't a commercial for McUltra. I still wanted them to be a sponsor oh. of my comedy world, and then I wanted them to be a sponsor of the podcast, but uh, now I'm now I'm kind of shooting for smart water. 
but yeah, there's no sponsors. It's like it's like this vision board in my brain of things. Um, off topic again, so let's go back. Oh no, I think uh, we could like say like Mick Ultra. It's Lady Beer because it kind of is like it's not too you know it sort of goes down. It's Lady Beer. <laughs> it's like the Virginia Slims of beer. Yeah. If you were gonna, it's it's the Kotex. <laughs> I've gone too far. So, <laughs> ladies, yeah. did you have a long day? That's the Virginia Slims and Mick Ultra. <laughs> this is like a real healthy, uh, healthy lifestyle. There's nobody there. Okay. Fourth, <laughs> listeners, I just keep looking out the door because I've removed something from my uh, lanai. I had these screens up, and uh, they were kind of windows, and I took them down, and now that they're gone, you can, like, see out into the parking lot really clearly. I didn't know there were planes going by. I would hear them, and I thought they were straight overhead. I can watch them as I sit in my old lady recliner and look out the window at the neighbors who are doing things and living life. You're you're becoming Mrs. Kravitz. Yes. Growing up, we called that person Mrs. Jackson because she'd open the window of the brownstone, put a pillow there, and lean her arms out and just watch the neighborhood all day. That was ah, Mrs. Jackson. Like 227. Yeah. Mary. Mary. Hey, Mary, look back out over there. <laughs> oh, that's very good. I could do that in Linda Belcher. Oh, okay. And Elmo. Do I don't know why I'm not in Hollywood. I don't know either. That was a very good Jack A. Very good. <laughs> if I tried to do it again, it wouldn't be good. <laughs> We are so current. <laughs> well, it's the references you want the kids to be relating to. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think no, they're two two seven bewitched. It's really yeah. what all the kids are talking about these it's days. True. So let's let's see if we can get back in in that lane we keep drifting out of, <laughs> as if I may, metaphor, analogy, or simile, whichever one you want to call what I just did. I don't know the difference. I also don't know the difference between. The use of who and whom, Mm -mm. but everything else I'm full-on grammar Nazi. Oh, you know what I also have trouble with is a lot and a lot. I have a lot of problems with that. A lot is never one word. I will help you with that. Oh, a lot is never one word? It's never one word. Oh, I need to do some editing now. That's one thing I know. Okay. I learned that somewhere, and uh, yeah, I don't know where I learned it, but I remember. And that's why I don't know why the trick didn't happen for me with who and whom. I got all the others, but that one I was like, "Mm." I think it's growing up like... Not hearing it used properly yeah. ever, and no one in school saying anything. To whom? To Robin, whom this, is, this isn't about me, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. Get some coffee. Contrary. So let's let's go back in time. Let's go back in time. What made you want to get on stage that first time you did in your thirties when you said, "I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it." Was was there a, a was there a dry run at Toastmasters, or did you go right for an open mic at a comedy show? Uh, no, I took a comedy class. I was uh, I had two young children at home, and I felt like, oh my god, this is my life now. So I thought, at the very least, let me just see if. If the one thing I kind of always wanted to do, I'm just capable of doing because it was just sort of diapers and just endless days, which... Quick disclaimer, Robin is a wonderful mother and her children are (laughs) well-adjusted and awesome and talented and great. 
and attractive and tall. Anything else? Uh, my daughter's not tall, but she's extremely okay. attractive. Well, but she's my... tall in stature to me. Oh, yeah. But of her talent. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she's 20 feet tall in talent. My son is very tall. And they're grown now. And, I mean, it's kind of the, you know, the days are, what's, what's the, the years, the years are short, but the days are long. But it's very, it was very hard. Quarantine, mm. like, was sort of a... If, if you kids out there, if you think about having children, the life you Why lived. Why are the in, kids thinking about having children? Wait, the life okay, you lived ahead. in quarantine is almost very much like the life you live having babies. And I've soon come to realize, like, I don't do. I'm not a good hunkerer. So after like being like, this cannot be my life. I thought, let me at least try something, just like as a little hobby. You know, like. Branch out. Branch out, yeah. It, it, like yeah. Most people might do a book club or something like, hey, let me just do this fun little thing for me, like maybe take this comedy class. And it was like just trying like heroin for fun. Like it just... <laughs> it was heroin or Krav Maga. So you <laughs> said, oh, maybe I could just tell some jokes. Let's try that. Yeah. And then I was like, you know, maybe if, if I like this comedy class, maybe maybe like once a week I'll go to an open mic. And it was it was just like... Um, oh, what's that scene where they show the eyeball and uh, Requiem for a Dream? Oh, yeah, yeah, like where they the thing where the they show the eyeball. Up. Yeah, that was that was me the first time we did a comedy. film reference from Robin Savage. Impressive, impressive. Because earlier today you mentioned the one film that you saw during the entire two year quarantine, and that film was what again? Bob's Burgers the movie. <laughs> yeah, so obviously you're an art house person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty deep, the Bob's Burgers movie. <laughs> Going to Florida, sunshiny Florida. All right. <laughs> All right. So you got up there and said, yeah, it's, 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 you said, you know what? I'm having kids. This is my life. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to go take a class. And you got up. What was your first experience like? Was it out of body? Yeah. I mean, let me just say, I my first time on stage, I bombed so hard. I mean, beyond bombed. And like my throat was like when you get nervous and your throat gets dry, mm-hmm. my mouth too, I swear, like my neck, like there was no spit whatsoever. And um, I didn't really have jokes. I just did this thing about, I think I've told you, that, oh, I haven't told the podcast listeners Tell the before. podcast listeners, they don't know. Um, my very first bit was um, five minutes long and didn't really have a punchline. It was just like, what would happen if I went into Oprah's show? And um, that's that was fantastic it. because you worshipped Oprah when I met you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there weren't any punchlines. It was just me acting out like Oprah's part and my part being interviewed. It was so weird that I didn't do very good. So it's kind of like when Bob Newhart and Ellen DeGeneres did their phone calls to God, but you did a thing where you had a conversation with Oprah. Well, their phone calls to God were funny because it was one sided, and they yes. knew humor enough to like. <laughs> They did. Yeah, say like, oh, okay, God, blah, 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 answering it in a way that you could understand the question. Yeah. And I was more like, okay, Robin, how are you? Like, that was my Oprah. And then my, <laughs> and then at one point, I think I made like a kid like walk from a wheelchair. Like, it was really weird. It was, oh yeah. And then someone later on was like, um, you got to tell jokes on here. I'm, I'm not sure what you're doing. So then oh, I, okay. um, yeah, I learned to write jokes. Yeah, we all learn to write jokes in different ways because after you get up once, you realize, oh, shit, I don't know how to write a joke. Yeah. People at work laughed by the copier, but 
That's not the same. It's, it's like not. when you also tell a joke on stage in a bar at a 10 o'clock show and you kill the room and you do great. And then you go to work the next day and try to tell it and they fill out forms in HR because you're so like, that's not a thing you should say at work. Why did she just say that? Or it's just not funny at work. Yeah. You know, because I can't tell you the hundreds of times I said, oh my God, I have a bit like that. And then I tell it and people look at me and I think, oh, they're, they're worried about me now. <laughs> because they're like, why, why, did, why did she do that? Because I'm doing, I'm doing uh, glory days. I'm doing baseball stories. Yeah. But to me, it's something where they don't have to imagine me hitting a ball and it being a home run. They just have to listen to the words I'm saying and laugh at it. But, but I forget that conversation is not me doing comedy. But learning how to write jokes came because of the wonderful generosity of, of pro comics, didn't it? That's where my yeah. help came from. Yeah. And then the more you go on stage and you have to filter out the garbage because there's so much garbage in open mics. But the more you go on stage and really start listening to the people who can do it well, you're like, okay, I, you know, and then you, you go and listen to the, the pros and the, the Jerry Seinfelds and the Jim Gaffigans and you realize like, that's, that's who knows how to do it. And I, I believe you also use some of the references that are out there for us. I believe you were into the uh, Jardy Judy Carter book. Yeah, Judy Carter was really good. I've got I've got a couple of her books. Also, um, she does a book and I, about like um, keynote speaking. I've yet to be a keynote speaker, but she's got some really good advice for that. So that's right. And I found a book uh, early on, which was one of the I think it was the Comedy Bible. I think is what mm -hmm. it was called. Because there was one, there was a magazine that was published at a similar name for a while, and they actually had a little trouble. Oh, that's Those two right. parties because it was the same name. But I think it was the first few chapters of the Comedy Bible and how to start and stand up. One of those two books, I forget which one, by Judy Carter. But in like the first uh, section, the first chapter, it's basically okay. Congratulations, you're here. You bought a notebook. Make an appointment in a month or two months to get on stage. Make that happen. Once you do that, you'll start the work to do the stuff. So that's when I signed up for the class yeah, at McCurdy's. And basically that's what she says even to be a keynote speaker. Don't kind of put the horse before the cart or you'll never be ready. If you're like, oh, I'm going to get my five-minute set and you'll never be ready, you kind of have to put your feet to the fire. I mean, that's the only way. Yeah, because those first half a dozen times, if you're normal – um, and experience and similar to other people, those first half dozen to a dozen times are just going to be a mess. But mm -hmm. if you keep getting up, you will learn that the hardest part is getting on the stage. Yeah. Once you're there, it gets easier. And then in, and in a couple of years, you even find your voice. Yeah. And also... Like, you don't have to be polished. Like, sometimes if you're watching, like, a, like someone... Who's good? Like like Tig Notaro, she has like lots of time where she doesn't say anything, and that was my whole thing. I felt like I just had to like fill the air, and if I didn't say anything, they could see through the cracks. And I mean, I think I saw Chris Rock one time, and he was like, "Oh shoot, I forgot where I am." Like, but if you get so comfortable on stage, you can just be yourself, and it's not like, "Oh dang it, I you know I." I forgot to say but instead of and and like no one gives a shit just as if you're comfortable and you're making people laugh they they don't care 
Nobody in the audience knows if you forgot part of your joke because they haven't memorized your set the way you have. And if you've memorized it to the point where it's a muscle memory, there's a really good chance you're going to leave parts of it out. Yeah. That's why it's super, super, super important, which you learn after a while, to be in the moment and look in the around the room. You've heard the phrase, read the room. You have to read the room the whole time. You can't motor through and just finish your set. You need to adjust as you go, which is very, very difficult and super scary. It is. It is. And sometimes if you like assume like, oh, I've got this room. So they're like this. And then you get there and you're like, no, the audience is way older. The audience is way younger or there's, you know, more rowdy people or less rowdy people. You do really have to like gear it up and be like, oh, instead of using like this bunch of jokes, I need to do this or I need to talk to them more or talk to them less. Absolutely. And the power of the pause is powerful. But if you're new and you don't understand how to use that weapon, you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot. Mm -hmm. And if you get used to it and get comfortable, you can have you can have a half a minute of silence and destroy the tension that builds in the silence is is the thing that leads to the biggest laugh. Yeah. And I, tension. I still have to. I mean, I, I still talk too quickly, and I still have that to learn. A lot of times when I make my set list, I just write slow down at first. So, like, even that, when I'm reading my set list, I'm like, it's, it's going to be funnier if you don't motor mouth it. The last few years, my set list was just the words breathe, pause, look around. That's great. Feel. That was my set list. My set oh, list was great. no longer my jokes because I kept doing the same shit over and over again and I wasn't going to change. Fuck them. <laughs> like, this shit works. Why would I change it? It ain't broke. Don't fix it. Dear Abby. Um, but yeah, it was breathe, pause. Those are my things. Breathe okay. and pause. Like look around. Things. Because when you stop and you look around, the, one of the things that happens is when you are super thirsty and you're new and your mouth is dry and you just want to get through it and you go to reach for your drink and you realize they stop laughing, you then put your drink down. Because like, oh no, I can't yeah. have that silence. But there are people who get up and take that sip and then they just wait and they move on. I know that I was so anxious to get up there and start filling the space. I was afraid to get up there after the applause stopped. You know, they say, and now Long Island Mary, clap, clap, clap. I'm like, I'm on the stage. <laughs> I've watched people hear their full name said and then they stand up and then they walk towards a stage and I'm like I will never have that level of confidence yeah as a host I hate that because I'm like you know welcome to the stage long island mary clap 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 okay uh, let's keep on clapping <laughs> it's the worst <laughs> yeah but it's the, it's the comic's fault. They can make that decision. But you and I understand running shows because one of the things you and I learned how to do early and learned how to do well was host and run a show because they won't let you fucking headline. So you might as well learn yeah. how to run the show, which is way more important than any of the other roles. Yeah, yeah. You got you to gotta make your own opportunities and make your own shows. Absolutely. You do. And that's why uh, we want other comics to do what we want. But here's the fun thing. Uh, Picasso didn't tell um, Gaudi how to paint. And um, Salvador Dali didn't call up other people and say, no, no. You get, I don't need to make any more analogies. I obviously can't think of any more than three artist names, and I don't know why there were those three. It's, they're, they're all from Barcelona, basically, because I went there once to be able to talk about that. That's a Look different... Look at you. Look how I made it about me again. Um, hey, gang, so we're going to take a break, and we may or may not be back because, <laughs> you know, life, end of the world and stuff like that. Anything else you want to say to the folks before we... Uh, Take a little break real quick, Robin. You want to say anything? Um, just uh, enjoy yourself. If we take a little break, get a little something to eat. If we take a long break, just live your life. Great advice. <laughs> that's, 
You heard it here. Ladies and gentlemen, Robin Savage said, live your life. We're going to take a break. We'll be back or we won't. All right. Uh, here's some music. Contrary. So we didn't actually come back. Uh, it's just me. I want to thank you guys for listening to this very special episode with my friend, comedian, and writer, Robin Savage. She will be back on a future episode. I hope you all have a wonderful day, and remember, I love you. And you know what? Take care of yourself. Stay hydrated. You know the drill. See you later, contrary guardians.